Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Peninsula Church of Christ, located at 502 Woodland Road in Hampton, Virginia. We are so glad that you have chosen this time to study the Word of God, and it is our prayer that this sermon will be a blessing to your soul. You can find more information about the congregation, including our service times and full contact information, online at www.peninsulacofc.org. That is P-E-N-I-N-S-U-L-A-C-O-F-C dot org. If the sermon prompts questions in your mind, please reach out to us. Keep listening after the sermon for more information. And now, a sermon from the Peninsula Church of Christ. You cannot hardly move in this region without encountering some sign of warfare. And I don't mean that in the sense of our military bases and all the military personnel, some of which are in our number this morning. I mean that from the historical perspective. You look across from one end of Hampton Roads to the other, and there are markers everywhere, aren't there? Of this event that occurred here, of this battle that occurred there, both Civil War, Revolutionary War, both are commemorated plaque and after plaque, historic moment after historic moment that took place in this region. And the same is said for out, throughout the state of Virginia, isn't it? That this state has seen a lot of bloodshed through the years. Whether you're talking about the Revolutionary War with the <laughs> British and the colonies, talking about the Civil War with the North and the South, and of course the Civil War in particular has some significance in this state because of the history and such that is there. War is all around us. And when we look upon these monuments, they're meant to cause us to reflect, for one, upon what freedom costs, but also in relationship to the Civil War, what a lack of freedom can cost a nation. What a refusal to do what is right can cost a people in the long run. War, however, is something we want to avoid, isn't it? These monuments don't only serve to remind us of the cost of war, but of the freedom that was won, but of the cost of war as well. They remind us that blood has to be shed, and when blood is shed, there are many who mourn. There are mothers, there are fathers, there are brothers, and there are sisters, there are friends, there are communities that mourn the loss of loved ones, especially through <laughs> the generations of many young men and in recent times, young women as well. And yet, none of these monuments, none of these placards speak to the true cost of the great war that we began to talk about last Sunday. The war that you and I are in for our souls. You can go down to the graveyard and you can see the cost of this war. That life and death hang in the balance. You can count those who have passed on who were not prepared to meet their God and you can look at those who were and the number between the, the difference between the two is going to be staggering, isn't it? Day after day, hour after hour, moment after moment, men and women enter eternity unprepared to meet their God. But you and I are supposed to be different. We are supposed to be people who know we are at war and who are ready for it. We're to be the kind of people who have prepared ourselves 
to face the enemy that we all face day to day, hour to hour, moment to moment. Satan himself, the temptation he brings, the tricks he tries to deceive with, these things we know. We ought to be prepared for it. That's what we spent last Sunday trying to establish was a change of mind to get us to get out of our comfort zone and to stop focusing upon all these things in this life that try to draw our attention away, that try to distract us and keep us from focusing on that which is most important, the salvation of our souls. Now, having tried to accomplish that, whether or not I did that, you can be the judge. We want to talk about how then to engage in this warfare. How do we prepare ourselves? And we hinted at it last week, that it is by arming ourselves with the armor of God and presenting ourselves before God in prayer, that when we arm up and pray up, we'll be ready to get up and fight that wicked one. So today, what we want to do is go to Ephesians 6. If you haven't already opened your Bibles there, please do. I know it's where the scripture reading is, so many of you are already there. Great. Pretty much just stay there. And we're going to walk through the armor of God. I want us to briefly talk about these different parts of it. But, but before I do that, I want to remind us of something. Remember back in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're supposed to be finding strength in Christ. We're supposed to be finding confidence in the power that is of God's ability. Now, how do we do that? We walk alongside the Lord. We learn from him. We walk with each other. But part of that learning, part of that walking with him is there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. If we want to be strong in the Lord, if we want to be ready to confront the forces of wickedness. If I'm going to be a good soldier, I've got to put on the armor. I cannot, I must not, and we need to say I will not go out into the battle without the right equipment. You know, the Americans could have easily lost the Revolutionary War. Very easily. In the early days of the war, they didn't have the supplies they needed. Valley Forge, the winter that was there with Washington and the troops in, in Pennsylvania, the thousands that died, they didn't have the blankets, they didn't have the clothing, they didn't have the food that they needed. The armies of the colonies could have very quickly been nothing because they didn't have what they needed to fight the war. You and I have what we need. You and I have what we need. We don't need to find ourselves in our own valley forge unprepared. We have it. So let's start talking about it. Verse 14, beginning. Paul says to these brethren, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you look at that word stand, again, this, this has been here, hasn't it? Verse 11, verse 13, notice both of those times. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. This is an emphasis that Paul has been making in this text that if you put on the armor, you can stand. But now he changes it a little bit. And if you remember when he said, be strong in the Lord, how we talked about last week, that being an imperative, a, a commandment. Well, Paul does the same thing here at the beginning of verse 14. When he says stand, it's no longer him saying Put on the whole armor of God and you will be able to stand. Now it's him giving a commandment to the brethren. 
He's saying, now you need to stand. You need to stay with your feet planted in the Lord, wearing his armor. Now, the imagery that Paul is going to use is taken right from the day in which he was writing. Right from the Roman legionary himself. The Romans, in their warfare, originally started out imitating the Greek phalanxes. These lines of men, so many wide, so many deep, but that didn't work out so well for them. When they started to conquer territories that weren't flat and even. And so they shifted the phalanx strategy and it became known as a Roman legion because they had different levels of men with different abilities that would fight at different times and they would roll back and roll forward with cavalry. They changed their warfare a little bit. And Paul is living in an age where the Roman legion is common. In fact, there's no doubt that Paul and the brethren to whom he's writing here in Ephesus had seen these legions marching, marching right through downtown Ephesus on their way to fight some battle on their way to put down some insurrection, they were intimately familiar with them. So when Paul tells them to stand, they're automatically looking at an image of these legionaries. And when he describes his armor, he's going to use this armor that is representative of what the Roman warriors of the day would have had. And so he says, stand, girding your waist with truth. Now, this doesn't seem to be perhaps actual girdle, but would represent the binding up of the garment around the thighs, the, the binding of that garment to prepare for action. When he says to Christians that we need to put on the whole armor of God, that we need to gird about our waist with truth, he's saying that we need to take truth and be prepared for action. Now, you and I, understanding we're in a war, no action is going to come to us, right? You know, we're not out on the supply train where even you still have to keep your head on swivel, right? We're, we're, we're not somewhere outside of the main theater of operations. We're in the heart of it. And if you remember that word wrestle, the indication that hand-to-hand -hand close quarter combat, we're not just right in the midst of it. We are literally hand-to-hand -hand with the evil one himself. And Paul says, if you're going to go to war, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready. And the only way you're going to be ready is if you gird yourself about with truth. Truth is a Christian's friend. Truth is a Christian's best weapon in the end, isn't it? We'll talk about the sword of truth here in a moment, the sword of the Spirit, which is the truth, which is the word of God. But, but Paul says, if you're going to be ready for battle, you have to gird yourself about with truth. Think about what the devil's primary mode of operation is. It's a three-letter word. Lie. He loves to lie. He's the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning, and he does nothing but lie. If you don't know the truth, if you're not ready with the truth, you're going to be deceived by anything. Too many of us have fallen by the wayside because we got some tickling of the ear, some whisper in the night from someone who convinced us that this wasn't so or that wasn't so, and it wasn't that they were speaking truth, they were just speaking a lie, and we didn't know the truth well enough to, represent, to recognize the lie. Paul says, Christians, if you're going to be armed and ready for battle, you need to take up truth. And you need to be ready. Because when the lie comes, there's only one thing that is going to be able to withstand the lie. And that is the truth. Isn't it? The truth is the power we have against the lie. Think about Jesus and his temptation. 
when Satan tells him, there in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, tells him, you just go ahead and cast yourself off of here because the scripture says he won't allow him to stumble. And Jesus responds to him and says, yes, but it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The devil quoted scripture, didn't he? He quoted right at Jesus and said, here, this was the prophecy. See, if you just do this, you'll be fulfilling the prophecy. But it was a lie, wasn't it? Because he took something that was truth, twisted it around, and made it into something that was a lie. But Jesus knew the truth. And because he knew the truth, he was able to take that lie and say, no, 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 no. I know what the scripture actually says. You're there in Ephesians. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. By the way, all of these parts of the armor, Paul's been talking about them throughout this book. He's been talking about truth, and he's been talking about righteousness, and he's been talking about the word of God, and he's been talking about salvation. All of these things, he's been talking about it. And so he's basically just telling these Ephesians now by virtue of this imagery of the armor. All that I've been saying you have in Christ, you need to wrap that around yourself. And you need to take it out into battle for the sake of your soul. But notice Ephesians 1 and verse 13. The apostle writes them, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard, what? The word of truth. You had been over here living a lie. Doesn't he go on to talk about the way that they were outside of Christ, how they were away from God, how they were pursuing wickedness? He says, you were over here living a lie. But when you heard the word of truth, it changed everything. Brothers, sisters, we need to cling to the truth because all the devil has is lies. And whether it's in our life or the life of our friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, they need truth because all they know is a lie. And truth will always win out over a lie. We need truth. So Paul says, I want you to stand. Paul says, I want you to gird your waist with truth. He says, I want you to take the breastplate of righteousness. Notice he says, stand there for having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we, we can imagine the breastplate, right? The armor that covers the, the vital organs. It's what protects you from a knife blow, perhaps even an arrow, depending on, on how thick of a breastplate you had or whatever. You know, if you were the lowly guy on the totem pole, might not have that much, but it was meant to protect the organs, meant to, to lessen the damage. Paul says, you need to take the breastplate of righteousness. Now, there is a sense in which, of course, we know that we are declared righteous in Christ by faith when we obey the gospel, right? Paul makes that argument in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Yes, we're all in sin, but we are righteous in Christ by faith. And then he goes on in chapter 4 to explain that by virtue of Abraham, the father of faith, who believed God and was accounted to him for Righteousness, But in the book of Ephesians, Paul hasn't been so much dealing with the idea of these people now being counted righteous before God. But in the last couple of chapters, his concern has been that these who were outside of God would now live like God wanted them to righteously. Look at a couple of the texts with me that surrounds us. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And read, if you will, with me, verses 20 through 24. The text says, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, there's truth again, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, 
which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, brethren, you need to be truly righteous. And how do you do that? By living the new man, by living the life of the new man. Not by living the old way, not in the corrupt ways that you used to live, but now in Christ, you're a new man. Live like it and that will be true righteousness. Right living truly before God. But then turn over just maybe a page, if even, and turn to chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And notice he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He's concerned again about them walking in the light, living rightly. And so when Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness here, certainly the only reason we can even be counted righteous is because of the fact we're in Christ. But even more so, what he's concerned with these brethren is that if you're going to go out in this war and fight the devil, you've got to go out living rightly. You're not going to be able to withstand the evil if you're living with the evil. What sense does it make for me to go and camp amongst the enemy? Does that make any sense? For me to go live over there with him? Say, hey guys, I just, I just want to set up shop for the night with y'all. That's going to be to my destruction, isn't it? Hey, they're going to say, yeah, come on in. We will gladly have you. Next thing I know, I'm going to be bound and I'm going to be a prisoner of war. Well, let's just say the devil doesn't give quarter, does he? See, he only wants you destroyed. A soldier of Christ can't live like the devil and expect to fight on the Lord's side. Paul says, if you're going to be able to withstand against the devil, you got to live righteously. Because if you do anything but live righteously, you might as well just be in his camp because that's where you really are, right? Take the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, we need truth, but then we need to actually live that truth, which is what righteous living is, isn't it? Not just knowing it, but actually doing it. So the devil's got all kinds of lies. I respond to the lies with truth, but not just with my mouth, but with my life, and that's that breastplate of righteousness. When I maintain my integrity before God, what does the devil have on me? Y'all remember Job, don't you? And you remember how Satan attacked his integrity over and over and over again. But Job kept saying, I cling to my integrity. I know what I have done and what I have not done. He says, with the relationship to young ladies, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon them. And he said, and if I accidentally took from someone what I not, I returned it many fold. He said, I'm going to cling to my integrity because I know who I am before God. This breastplate of righteousness is that attitude of Job. It's the idea of living so right that when the devil tries to come against us, he has no way to attack us. We're protected because we are full of integrity in our Lord. But he goes from the breastplate of righteousness to the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice verse 15. He says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Have you ever seen a football field in the winter? After a game where it had been raining cats and dogs the entire time? You ever seen a field like that? I'm not talking about that fake turf stuff. Stuff that looks green year round no matter what. 
I'm talking about the real kind of field, you know, the grass and the dirt. I'm talking Heinz field up there in Pittsburgh. You know, I'm talking about that kind of thing where the field gets to be a mess, doesn't it? Man, you get those guys out there with those cleats and they're pushing and pulling and tackling and running and they do that for four quarters and the end of that game, you look down at that field and you're like, wow, what happened to this place, right? Now imagine a battlefield with thousands upon thousands of men trotting, moving, fighting. Can you imagine what would happen to that field? Can you imagine how that dirt and everything else is going to be churned up? How it's going to become a big mess? Now, if you're wearing some slick dress shoes like some of my brothers are in here this morning, and you're trying to keep your footing in that kind of dirt, what's going to happen to you? You're falling flat on your face, aren't you? You're going to be all in the dirt. So the Roman soldiers would often wear these sandal-like half boots almost that had pieces of metal or some other spike-like material attached to the bottom of them. So that when they were fighting and the field conditions worsened as they often did, guess what? They could keep their footing. They, one, of the, the, one of the great inventions of the Roman soldier was their footwear, believe it or not. And it helped them in many a battle simply to stay on their feet. Now, the man that's on his feet has power over the one who can't stay on his feet, doesn't he? He has a, a tremendous advantage. So think about what Paul, this imagery, Paul's pointing this idea that, that these men, when they go into battle and the field gets to be a mess, they're, they're prepared, they're ready to keep on fighting, to keep on going because their feet are properly equipped. Now, when we get in the midst of this battle, and all craziness is breaking loose. You know, there's, there's temptation and there's fighting and, and there's discouragement at times and we're just trying to hold on to our hope, right? We're clinging to our integrity and righteousness. We're holding on to the one who has saved us. We've got the truth with us and so we know, we, we know we're, we're on the right side of it. But what do we keep marching with? What, what allows us to keep on staying steady and marching forward, keeping our footing? He says, you're shot, having your feet shod with the preparation, the readiness. That's the way this word could be translated. Of the gospel of peace. Now, Christians, what kind of readiness are we to have with the gospel of peace? Do you remember Isaiah 52? Turn with me back there, will you? Isaiah chapter 52. And by the way, I don't know how many of Paul's Gentile readers would have recognized this. But a lot of the imagery here in Ephesians 6, the breastplate of righteousness and the truth, it comes out of Isaiah's writings around the Messiah and the messengers of the Messiah and how they're equipped to go out and do the work of God. A great deal of it originates in Isaiah. And then he takes an image that they would have been familiar with in the Roman soldier and he merges the two to help these brethren understand who they are to be and what kind of war they're in and how to fight it. But look at Isaiah 52 at verse 7. I hear pages stop turning. I think most of you are there. He says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Who brings glad tidings, good news. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's literally what the gospel means. Good news. 
And he talks about how beautiful are the feet. Now, now y'all have heard this text in a summarized fashion, haven't you? Over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, you're, you're, we're more familiar with that version of it, aren't we? But this idea of that one that comes upon the mountain is bringing glad tidings of the gospel. The messenger. When you and I go out into warfare, that which is shot around our feet is the preparation, readiness of the gospel of peace. We have come marching with the gospel. We've got the good news. Now think about what that does for us. Think about how that aids us in this warfare that we're in. What does the devil have? Does he have anything that is good news of peace? No, he doesn't. What does he bring? He brings death and destruction, doesn't he? You remember the Lord in John 10 talking about there being two different kinds of shepherds? How there's the genuine shepherd who loves the sheep, who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep, but, but how there's this, this false shepherd who's nothing more than a thief who tries to deceive and steal and kill. Now, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. He brings a message of peace. And if you think about what Paul has been saying in Ephesians 2 to these Gentile brethren, how that now Jew and Gentile alike, how God has made peace between them and peace not only between them, but with them and God himself, right? The message we have is not one of I'm superior to you or you're superior to me or this faction and that faction. The message we bring is one of peace. Peace between men and peace with God. Now that is a message that the world needs to hear, isn't it? And Paul says if we're going to go and fight the devil, the message that is going to sustain us and allow us to stand and help us to keep our footing is a message of peace. When the devil brings death, we come preaching life. When he comes bringing deception, we come preaching truth. When he has nothing more than hate and malice, we have love and gentleness. Think about that. The war that we're engaged in is going to be a war ultimately for the hearts and minds of men, isn't it? For our own heart and mind. What appeals more to the heart of man? Deception and death or life and love? What appeals more to you? Well, friends, if we want to carry out this war and keep pushing forward, we need to have the gospel of peace at our hands, ready to be proclaimed. Not only the preparation of the gospel of peace, but verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith which with, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shields that these soldiers carried were large. They could pretty much protect their entire body behind them. And when they were marching together and in close formation, they could close up and pretty much protect themselves from all kinds of volleys. Paul says the shield that we have that protects us when the devil shoots those fiery arrows at us, when he tries to, to throw a shot from range, so to speak, he says that shield is faith. That shield is faith. Who is our faith placed in? It's placed in ourselves. Y'all know the answer to that, right? Are y'all tired this morning? I know I am. Y'all too? Who is our faith in? Christ. It's in God, isn't it? That's where we place faith. Faith isn't in ourselves. And so the shield of faith, it's not about what we are, but it's about who he is, isn't it? 
We're placing ourselves at His mercy. You see, we go out to fight this war knowing that no matter what happens to us, we can trust Him, right? And life will get tough sometimes, won't it? Those darts of the devil will fire. Sometimes it'll feel like he has launched a whole mountain at you. And it's just landing right on top of you, right? Isn't that how it feels sometimes? But when that comes, we don't fret, do we? Because we know who we believe and we are convinced that he'll keep that which we've committed to him against that day, right? That's faith. No matter what comes at us, no matter what the devil tries to we know. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Isn't that beautiful? Every word of God is pure. We've talked about in both truth and in the gospel of peace, how God's word is a primary moving force for us in this battle. And yet we can't forget when we talk about faith, faith is rooted in the word of God, isn't it? Romans 10 and verse 17. It's rooted in the word of God and the one who gave us that word. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who trust in him. You and I have placed our trust in him. So we go out with this bat into this battle with that shield that is faith. And when the devil tries to throw it, he says, uh-uh-uh, I know who I believe. Man, the day's going to get tough. The arrows are going to come, but I know whom I have believed. But he doesn't stop there, does he? You've got the girding of truth. You've got the blessed plating of righteousness. You've got the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You've got the shield of faith, and you have now, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You've got the helmet of salvation. Because our salvation is in God, we can march forward with our heads held high, right? Have you read Romans chapter 8? I hope you have. Man, that's a beautiful chapter. The blessings that come to those who are in Christ. Don't forget, that's what Romans 8 is about. When the promises, all things work together good to those who love and keep us coming, that's about those who are in Christ. When he says nothing can separate us from the love of God, that's not saying you can walk away from Christ and still have the blessing of it. He's saying as long as you stay close to Christ, this will be the reality of it. These are the blessings to those who are in Christ in Romans chapter 8. You and I can go out in this world and we can face the devil in confidence, not because of us, but because of the one that we serve. We have salvation in him and we are certain of it. Now, brethren, we need to get off the fence of not being sure whether or not we're saved. Not being sure whether or not we're right with the Lord. We can know. If we don't know, it's because of one or two things in my estimation. One, we know we ain't right. And that's why we're not confident of it. One, we know we're not right. And that's why we're not confident there. Two, we haven't studied the book enough to know that we are right. And that he's faithful. So we're not confident in it. John said, I have written that you may know that you know that you have eternal life. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy there, says... I have fought the fight. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there's laid up. Sound like there's any doubt in his voice? Brethren, we don't need to live in doubt. One of the parts of the armor of God is the confidence of salvation. And if you don't have that confidence, you need to fix that. Because it's not on God. It's somewhere in our heart. 
that we've gone wrong. And we need to get that back. We need to get right with that. Because we need that common salvation. We bear that helmet and we can go forward knowing that we are saved. No matter what the devil does to me, I've got my Lord. That's a great place to be, isn't it? No matter what he does, I've got my Lord. I've got my faith. I'm trusting in him. I've got the truth with me. I know how I am living in righteousness. Man, I'm ready. And by the way, he wants hand-to-hand combat? Sure, because I've got the sword of the Spirit. He moves from the helmet of salvation to the sword of spirit. Paul says we wrestle, right? That, that I did that close-up combat. Well, the Roman sword was approximately 20 inches long, give or take a little bit. Through the years, they changed it a little bit, modified it here. There's some's a little bit longer, some's a little bit shorter. So generally just agreed around 20 inches. Had a somewhat wide blade, but, but it was terrific tool for close quarters combat. It was able to slice with a stroke or stab through with a thrust. It's a terrific weapon for the time and for the purpose that it was designed for. And it's a weapon that would have been old too familiar to these people. And the way the Roman Empire had just run over people after people after people, it was a familiar tool to not just the Romans, but to their enemies as well. It was effective and it was brutal. But Paul takes that weapon and he says, friends, remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood. I'm not trying to run my brothers through with a sword. <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, sinner, come here. I'm going to take off your head, right? Now, there is a religion that does that kind of thing. That's not what Christians do. We don't fight with our hands. We proclaim the word of God. We carry the sword of the spirit, which Paul explicitly says, what about? He says, which is the word of God. By the way, the word here, translated word, is not logos. In fact, it's the word often translated in some context as breath. And the reason why that word is chosen here is when that word is used, it carries a specific sense with it. And that is not just of a written word, but of a spoken word. We carry the word of the Spirit, the spoken word. Now, that could have two possible meanings there. One, it could be a reference to Paul's making that idea that this word that we carry is spoken directly by God. Or two, it could carry the idea that this word has power because we go forth speaking it. Because it is God's word with power. And so it is a tool in our hands, it's a weapon in our hands to conquer the forces of evil because it's the word of God spoken forth into the world. That has power, doesn't it? It always has and it, it always will. The sword of the spirit. But then Paul adds in these last few verses the necessity of prayer, doesn't he? He says in verse 18, Continuing down verse 20, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. Why for me? That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, Paul's emphasis here on the prayer that he might speak leads me to believe that Verse 17, his use of 
the word breath there with relation to the word of the spirit, the word of God. That he has in mind here as he has throughout this whole armor of God, the idea that brethren, the way in which we go out and fight the devil is by going out in righteous living with confidence of salvation, proclaiming the faith that has been once delivered for all men, the gospel of Christ. That that's how we engage this battle. The truth, we carry it with us. The preparation of the gospel of peace, it's ever present. The breastplate of righteousness, we're living it. Faith, we're trusting him as we proclaim it. The helmet of salvation, we know the one that we preach. Because we know of salvation. The sword of the spirit, the word that, that we bring forth. And in all this to pray, to pray that we might overcome. And he says to pray for him that the gospel might be preached. This text is inherently evangelistic. We might not always see it that way, but it is. Paul is looking at the church in Ephesus and he's saying you're at war with the devil. And you know how you're going to overcome him? And you know how other people are going to overcome them? You know how you're going to reach them? is by going out and fighting this war. But the only way you're going to do it is if you have truth. The only way you're going to do it is if you live that truth. The only way you're going to do it is if you bring the gospel of peace wherever you go. The only way you're going to do it is if you do all of that by faith. The only way you're going to do it is if doing that by faith, you're confident in the one that has saved you. And so you go forth with the mouth speaking his word. We are soldiers in the army of Christ. We don't fight flesh and blood. We don't have literal tools of warfare, but we have faith and righteousness and the truth of God. And with that, well, anyone or anything that would exalt itself against God can be torn asunder. You don't believe me? Turn your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. And a comment Paul made now. I, I want to tell you, he made this comment to the church about problems in the church. Sometimes the battles we fight, brethren, aren't going to be ones that are without the body, but are at times going to be ones within the body where truth and righteousness, where the faith delivered by God is at stake. Notice what he says in verses three through five in this context. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, if you read verse 6, you understand he's talking directly to them and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul's warning them that when he comes... He's going to do what he has to do by the authority God has given him. But he says, listen to me, brethren. He says, the tools that God has given us for warfare. He said, though we're in the flesh, we don't fight with the flesh, but it's able to tear down anything that would exalt itself against God and bring every thought into captivity unto Christ. The war that we are fighting is a war for the hearts, the minds, the souls of men, for our own heart, our own mind, our own soul. 
And there is so much deception. There's so many lies. There's so much the devil wants to get in your head to convince you that the one church ain't the one church. That it really doesn't matter how you call on God. Just, just as long as you seek after him, you know, everybody's going to heaven. That what lifestyle you live, you know, that's between you and God. And, and God doesn't make any mistakes. So however I choose to live it, it must be okay and it must be acceptable. He wants us to believe that the word, well, it, it isn't just, it isn't the inspired and errant word of God. It, it's just, well, it's a creation of man who, who had enlightenment from God. And we just, you know, we just kind of got to take it as, as what it is and, and just, uh, well, you know, kind of like a map, a suggestion, kind of like Google, you know, you can go this way or that way or that way and they'll all end up in the same place. You might just take you a little longer to get there if you go this route. The devil wants us to be deceived. He wants our minds and hearts to be filled with thoughts and ideas that are not part of God's will. Because when we don't think clearly, we don't act clearly. And when we don't act clearly, we can't possibly please God. But we know better, don't we? We know better, don't we? We know he's a liar. And we know that this book, divine, is God's word. And so if we're going to be good soldiers, we're going to go out and we're going to gird ourselves with truth. And we're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we're going to shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we're going to take the shield of faith. And we're going to take the helmet of salvation. And we're going to take the sword of the spirit. And we're going to pray always. And when we do that, we are going to be conquerors in Christ because we will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, having prepared ourselves for war by putting on the whole armor of God. Brothers and sisters, I hope you haven't been believing a lie. I hope you haven't been convinced by the devil that you could live a way that's contrary to the gospel and still be right with God. If you have been in this morning, you need to repent and you need to come back. If your mind has been filled with everything that isn't what the Lord would have, then get rid of that. Remember part of Romans 12, that one and two is the renewing of the mind, right? You and I need to have that inner man continually renewed by the word of God, by truth itself. If we're going to have any chance at standing against the deceiver. And as the people who are living it, we need to then go out proclaiming it. Man, don't we ever? We need to have that gospel of peace and everywhere we go, man, there needs to be folks who are saying, I am thankful unto God that they have come my way because they brought with them the good news of Christ Jesus. Now, if our life isn't being fought and war with the devil, we might want to look in the mirror and see if we're already a captive of his and make the change. My friend, if you're here this morning, you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ. Now is the time. The devil, he doesn't take a day off. He's going to keep devouring you and destroying you. You might think you can wait till tomorrow, but tomorrow might not even come for you. The tragedy down here at Buckrow Beach just last night. Several individuals shot. 
One died. Others in the hospital. Kids involved. Terrible stuff. You and I need to be ready. And we need to pray for those in our life that we can help them to get ready. And then we need to go out and we need to fight the devil face to face, hand to hand with the power of God. Now, if you're ready to join in that battle this morning, then turn your life over to Christ in obedience to the gospel, in repentance and baptism this morning. Because there's only one way into him, and that is to be baptized into him for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. The sermon is yours. We, we hope that you've been encouraged to go out and fight this battle. Don't sit on the sidelines. If you sit on the sidelines, I guarantee you this, you will lose. And you'll lose more than you ever thought you could. So take the truth. Take righteousness. Take faith. Take salvation. Take the sword of the spirit. Take that gospel of peace. Take prayer. And let's go out and fight as we stand and sing. We hope that the sermon challenged you and encouraged you in your walk with God. Now that you have listened, we invite you to join us for Bible class on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. or for worship at 10.30 a.m. Further service times can be found on our website. If you would like to study the Bible further, have questions, or just want to send in a prayer request, please call us at 757-848-1120, email us at info, I-N-F-O, at peninsulacofc.org, or fill out the contact form on our website at peninsulacofc.org. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe and rate us in iTunes or on your favorite podcast player to keep up with future sermons. May God bless you.